You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1043 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday. And before we start the podcast today, I want to tell you that the Locked On NBA Draft 2021 brought to you by Built Bar is on the way with Chad Ford, Raphael Barlow, host, one of the hosts of the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, and Locked On NBA host John Corrales. They'll be live this year during the draft itself. Follow Locked On NBA on YouTube today and watch the live coverage on July 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern. I don't often do this, but the guest for today's podcast is already here with me. No intro required. Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops is here. Hello, sir. Hey, what's up, Brad? Uh, living the dream, my friend. Uh, we are one week away as we record from the draft. People listen to this actually be even less than that, but we're recording basically when the draft's supposed to start a week from now. And uh, there is some draft stuff to get to. I'm going to save it, though, for the end of this podcast. And we're going to talk about some Hawk stuff because, as people might have heard, I reacted uh, briefly and I would say, off the cuff to the Okongwu injury news late last night after recording other stuff. And uh, I wanted to ask you to talk about a little bit about that, about that now. What was your reaction? I can't remember if you were awake last night. Uh, did you see this news happen live when Okongwu uh, was ruled to be out for six months? And if, if you didn't see it live, what was your reaction when you finally saw the news come through? Yeah, I was getting ready to go to bed. And then I got the uh, notification from Woj out of nowhere that Okongwu was having surgery. And I think it caught everybody by surprise. There was no indication that this was on the horizon. I think Travis Schlenk even spoke recently that he expected him to play in summer league. So it, it did catch everybody by surprise seemingly. So yeah, my reaction was, man, this sucks. <laughs> That's being pretty frank. But you know, I, I think they gave him a six-month timeline. So that would be a return in about mid-January. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal, but obviously it's a bummer. Yeah, so there's a couple things to hit on here, and we'll spend a few minutes on this just because it's actually you know pretty big news still, and uh, not that long ago. You know, um, you have basically the Kongwu development uh, angle where he missed most of last offseason as well, and now he's going to miss this offseason. Uh, still a very young guy with a lot of promise, but there's that, and then there's also you mentioned the timeline of being out until basically mid-season. So if you do the if you do the math. The season's supposed to start in you know mid-October and finish in mid-April, which means dead in the middle of the season is mid-January, which is six months from now, which is the projection for a Kongwu. So essentially, I would say at least a half season away, and they have to kind of plug that hole. So first, I want to ask you about a Kongwu. Like, does this worry you at all for his development? Not that it's going to like be a super long-term injury, but it's not ideal to have one of your young players essentially miss back-to-back off-seasons. Yeah, like you said, it, it, it's not ideal. Uh, a torn labrum isn't something that's degenerative and it's something that can be fixed. Lots of players have had it. So it doesn't really change, you know, any analysis I would have about his trajectory. It's just unfortunate with the way that he was building steam in the playoffs and just over the second half of the season, looking better and better. He guarded both Embiid and Giannis better than anyone could have expected and had some really impressive flashes in the playoffs. I was looking forward to getting to watch him in summer league. And I think a full off season to work on some things and continue to improve would have been great to see. And it's unfortunate that that's not going to happen, but it doesn't change anything for me long-term on a Kongwu. It's just, it's just a bummer, really. It just, it, I hate that it happened to him and hopefully he'll be good to go by about mid season. 
Yeah, I tend to agree. You know, it's not a, like you said, not a, not a degenerative issue, not going to be something that's going to hover around him long term. And that is definitely helpful. I will stress, and I'm sure you know this too, but uh, because they said six months, uh, you can never assume that is definitely going to be the case. Uh, even without a setback, it's possible it could be longer than that. So I am guilty of this too, but you know, mid-January, late January, six months from now, I guess it could be earlier, but it also could be later. So especially with a long-term injury like this, you have to kind of be a little bit more cautious. And I think in particular, given his age, given the fact that he is a key part of the future, the Hawks are not going to rush him along. We don't we know what their approach is going to be now with a new training staff seemingly coming in, but at the same time, they're not going to hurry him um, for a number of reasons, but one of them is that he's a very key piece of the future. So you don't want to like throw him out there when he's not ready, but obviously, you know, it being not, it's not like a, it's an Achilles or a knee or something. Um, so hopefully they'll have, he can, he can stay in shape as well. It's one of those things where if it's not your legs, you can kind of run and stay and keep your wind at least relatively. So, so uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, the other part of this, of course, is what they do at backup center. Uh, my general thoughts last night were, you know, don't, panic on this in terms of roster construction. I still have Clint Capella, who was a proven strongly above average starting center this year. Uh, obviously there's that pivot point with John Collins, but if they were to bring Collins back, he can play some center too. So the role is not enormous that uh, the backup center that they have to now acquire probably is going to have to fill. And it's worth remembering that Akongwu, while he played a big role in the playoffs, was like out of the rotation at times. That's how that's how little that backup center spot basically meant for this Hawks team this year. Whenever Capella was healthy, they didn't have a whole lot of uh, minutes to give to that player, whether it be a Kong or somebody else. So I say all that to ask you, what do they do here? Because I, I got a lot of questions like, do they draft a center now? Do they spend you know X on this guy or whatever? And I'm kind of downplaying that a little bit, but maybe I'm wrong on this. What do, what do you see as their uh, most likely and I guess preferred path to fix this hole? Well, I think firstly, the main thing is it wouldn't change my approach really at all in the draft. If, if there's a five that they just ha happen to love, they think is a great value that fell to them, then I can, I can understand taking them. That's not what I would do, but I can understand that. But more so than any other position in the league, you can generally get fairly quality center play for around the minimum. I mean, you're not getting a star or anything like that, but you can do someone, you can, you can get someone who can do a job and give you 10 to 15 minutes a game of, of solid above replacement level play at the center position. So I think they could offer a men contract out and see what they can bring in. There are some pretty good veterans who are free agents this year. Um, like there's a Robin Lopez, although he might get a little bit more, but I've always really liked Gorgie Jang's game, just going back to Louisville. Um, he's someone they could look at. Uh, former Hawk Dwayne Dedman's another guy they could look at it. Of course, both these guys could potentially get more, but around that, around that fee, I think is about what they'd be looking at. Um, so there's a number of options they can go with it. And I think Atlanta would also be, would be more attractive than a lot of teams that are offering a, a minimum deal because that job would essentially be yours for the first half of the season. So you're, you're getting to play actual minutes and further, it's a good team too. So you have a chance to potentially go deep in the playoffs so I think it would be pretty appealing to some center, some centers who are essentially looking at men type deals. So that's probably what I would offer. All you really need is just some, to, someone to plug that hole for a brief period of time. And, and then after that, they'll play sporadically. So it wouldn't change my approach in the draft. Um, I wouldn't price it up to like their MLE or anything like that. I would just try and take a men and see what's out there. There's some good names available. Yeah. You mentioned a bunch of guys that I would certainly take a look at. I think, there's kind of two two sides to this where it is a pretty attractive role on a good team until a Kongwu comes back is the kind of the the sort of dichotomy there. So a guy like Jang or Deadman, 
they might sign for the minimum somewhere. That could be it could be in line for a little bit more than that potentially. Um, same with Robin Lopez. Those guys are sort of on the high end. I think what the Hawks could be trying to look for um, with this role. You know, other guys. I, I jot some names down like your Javale McGee's, your Nerlens Noels uh, on the lower lower end. Like you know, uh, yeah. Bismack Biombo, uh, like Kim Birch, like those kind of guys who are not yeah. great. But it's kind of what you're looking at. But I guess what I was going to say is the flip side. If you want to be skeptical, is that you know, Kong Wu is a massive investment for this team and any free agent's going to know at least somewhere deep down that when that guy comes back, he's probably going to play. So yes, it's an interesting role, but it also might be a role that evaporates midseason, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's true. But I also think, you know, if you're a minimum kind of player, then you'll take that, you know, if you can get 500 plus minutes on a minimum deal and you could get that, you know, until a Kong Wu comes back, that's still pretty solid. So I, I think you could get some interesting names for that. Also, I don't know where he would stand in the free agency totem pole, but I just wanted to mention there's at least a chance of your guy, Alex Lynn, at least being around the uh, – I wrote it, I wrote him down, and I, I, I think Hawks fans will be very mad if they do that. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think Alex Lynn is better than most people think he is, but uh, I would try to aim a little higher if they could. Uh, and yeah. even, so that even as an Alex Lynn enthusiast, he's not <laughs> fantastic. I do think that, like, for example, if they did – draft a center which i wouldn't recommend we'll come back to that later on but if they did end up going with like kai jones or something maybe you also bring in like a even lower level backup center like an alex len who like is cool not playing um that might be a good option just to kind of plug because you know for instance i threw out i I was having a little bit of fun here but i also kind of believe it i threw out paul Millsap's name i know he's not a center necessarily but he can play a little bit of center that's a good thought and i like that obviously has the local ties um because you have john well you don't necessarily have John Collins, but if you assume you have John Collins, you could probably play those guys together a little bit, and that's enough size. Um, if it's something like that, then yeah, but also there's a spot to plug. You know, I know it's not sexy, but like this Mac Biombo is not a good, not like good, but he's yeah. not going to kill you for eight minutes a he's night. Fine. So it's just interesting to see what the priority level is because knock on wood, as long as you have Capella healthy that role is pretty small, even without a Kong Wu of, around. Um, but of course, the flip side of that is that Hawks fans saw this this year. If you get a couple injuries, suddenly that guy's got to play 30 minutes a night. Like no one saw Solomon Hill and Tony Snell playing the roles that they were going to be playing this year on the Hawks. So you have to sort of account for yeah. all scenarios. And my whole point is, especially if they have Collins, who is going to still play a little bit of center, I think almost regardless, uh, it's just not that big of a role. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is still a rotation player at the end of the day, probably a lower end rotation player. So you'd like to have someone pretty solid there. Oh, yeah. One other name I just wanted to mention while we're on the topic would be uh, Mo Wagner, just because he, he brings something a little bit different. Yeah, go blue. Exactly. <laughs> um, he's not a good shooter, but he can space a little bit and he's in his mid 20s. So maybe there's, you know, a sliver of upside there. I've always kind of liked his game. I think he's an NBA player. Um, so that's someone that I think would be a little bit more interesting than like a salty vet type. But I do think a salty vet type is, is what you're looking at. And, and again, it's not a big role. It's not super appealing, but you could you could get, you know, 500 plus minutes there on a minimum deal and maybe turn some heads. And who knows, maybe you could, that could help you stay in the league next year. So I think it will have some appeal. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think long story short, um, they're in the mix with other teams that have the minimum and the Hawks do have some advantages as a good team and a relatively big market that people seem to like and all that stuff. And they also have some flexibility too. Like if they wanted to go with more of a hybrid big, like your Kelly Olenek type or something like that with the MLE or like, that's an MLE guy. Yeah. That's a more high level. But if they, if they solve backup point guards, some other way, maybe you have a little bit more money to spend on like PJ Tucker 
like something like that, like more of those, you know, not a pure center, but can play a little bit like, you know, Taj Gibson's more of a center, but he's available too. you know, Hawks saw him a lot in the playoffs, et cetera. So there's some names out there. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing here, but hopefully uh, a Kongwu is ready to go by January and pushing himself back in the lineup because, you know, some Hawks fans thought he was going to be, you know, playing even more this year. So uh, this is obviously a setback for him, but I wanted to at least talk about this a little bit more than my uh, emergency half asleep reaction <laughs> last night. Yep, I hear you. And I was really looking forward to just seeing like 48 minutes of Capel and Congo. I think that would be a really incredible center rotation and something that would be an advantage over the entire league, really. Not many, not many teams, I think, if you if you project the leap that I think Congo has in him, I mean, that's something that could really be an edge against the rest of the league. So it's unfortunate, but like I said, it's not a serious kind of injury as far as those go. Those go it's not an ACL or an Achilles or something like that. So um, looking forward to getting him back, though. Yeah, big time. Um, all right, that's probably enough on that for now. We can come back to it um, in, in, in future days. But before we get to some other stuff on the podcast, including uh, John Collins, everyone's favorite topic, John Collins, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Even with the season over now for the Atlanta Hawks, BetOnline is still your home for the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season, for example, is still in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline, get all the latest news, odds, and information for all of your sporting needs, including baseball, basketball, hockey, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, entertainment bets, and much, much more. Before the next pitch or dribble, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the latest great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prepare for their run to the playoffs. And even when they're in the playoffs, head to the website right now at betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Yes, that's checking out betonline.ag for 50% and extra cash and a welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code is Locked On for 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Andrew, uh, I have to ask you about free agency and other stuff right now before we get to the draft. So everyone talks about John Collins all the time and with good reason. This is by far their number one offseason storyline. I know Trey Young's extension's coming, uh, but that's going to happen. I think most people, most people assume it's going to happen. Um, Collins, however, is domino number one with regard to whatever else they do this summer. Uh, so I guess, broadly speaking, uh, I think... I'm a little bit higher on Collins than you in general from our conversations. Um, I'm not as high as Tyler Jones, friend of the podcast, Tyler Jones, who thinks uh, John is a, <laughs> is a definite max player. Uh, no, I'm high Tyler. Um, but all that said, like, where's your head at with Collins? Like, do you have a, a walk away point? Like, I know you were obviously a keen Hawks observer and uh, that is storyline number one. So where are you at with it? Yeah, I'm, I'm famously lower on John Collins and probably most Hawks fans just in general um I do think he's like a top 60 type player and that's probably being a little conservative there too and he's entering his age 24 season he's someone who's gotten better every year I think a really important consideration for me is that when they had Collins and Hunter and Capella all together I mean it's not a huge sample size I think it was a little under 500 possessions in the regular season and playoffs but they allowed just a little over 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 95 uh, points per possession, per 100 possessions. So that's an elite level defense. I, I think they were 100th percentile on cleaning the glass. So that's incredible. So I think a big part of the appeal of keeping John is not just 
having this uh, this piece that you've had for years and has grown with the team, but also that he could potentially represent a path to having not just an adequate defense, but actually one that's stifling. And you saw that at times. I think they they wad off the paint very well with Capella and with Collins. And when they had Hunter, they legitimately gave teams problems. So I think that, that's a big consideration. As far as money, um, when you sort of survey the landscape, there's a handful of teams that make sense. Obviously, Dallas and Miami are, are two that stands out. But I think one that's gotten a lot of talk is just the Spurs. If you take a look at their cap sheet, they have some really big holds, like guys like DeRozan and Rudy Gay and Patty Mills. But depending on what they do there, they could end up with 50 plus million in cap space. And if you are a team like that, I mean, what are you going to do with that? I mean, they have wing players like Kelton Johnson and Devin Vassell. Uh, they've got guards like Murray and Derek White. They have a pretty good big and Pirtle, but he's, you know, he's offensively limited. So they're a team that makes a ton of sense for Collins. So if you're them, I mean, you know, you might possibly see uh, a max deal for Collins as a slight overpay, but that's not really a consideration for them if they're trying to win and, and they're trying to make the playoffs. So I think that they could be um, a really competitive team. And I would be really interested to see what they might tender him if indeed they're interested. So would they come out immediately and offer a max deal? I mean, I think it would make sense for that for them to do that. You know, if you like him, who cares if it's a few million dollars more each year than you think that he's really worth because in free agency, that's generally what you have to do. Um, so I would be interested to see if they would go as far as, you know, a four-year max, which would start, I believe, at $125 million. Um, Of course, the Hawks can offer a fifth year, so that is a different kind of dynamic there. Maybe they could uh, agree to a deal that is a little bit less than a max on a per-year basis, but he might take a little bit less to stay there. Um, so as far as, like, walk-away point, I think it's tough for a max. I mean, that's 25% of your salary cap. I certainly get the appeal, and I think he'd be tradable on that. But when you consider they also have to pay Herter, uh, they have to pay uh, Trey, and luxury is always going to be a consideration for a small market. That's just how it is. Um, so it really just kind of comes down to how, their willingness to pay luxury and what they view him like, uh, what they view his ceiling is as a player. Yeah, it's obviously a, a nuanced conversation. Uh, I'm I'm a little higher for sure, as I said before. But, I mean, I guess to put it this way, I know – you're, you wouldn't be thrilled with the max, but it, let's, let's just say as a hypothetical, the Spurs offer the max, um, you know, three plus one or whatever you want to say, the Spurs offer the max and the Hawks match it. What's your reaction? Are you, are you thinking that's a disaster? Or are you thinking it's just like a little bit more than you would want? Like how knowing that you probably wouldn't want to go there willingly, what would your sort of reaction be if they went there? Well, I don't think it's a disaster. I mean, if another team wants to give him that, then that's at least one other party that's interested in him and yeah. it shows his value around the league. Um, but I'm just the way I'm wired, I just tend to value guys who have weaknesses on the ball a little bit less. Um, Collins is a high impact player, but you can definitely see how he's not as clean when, when he has to handle the ball or make decisions as a passer. That's always been a relative weakness of his. Obviously, he also has some weaknesses with creating his own shot. That's another one. But overall, he's still a very high-impact player. So I wouldn't have an issue, I think, matching a max. I mean, it's not – it's something I would really consider the long-term ramifications of. For example, is that something that's going to make you less likely to pay Kevin Herter? Is that something that could affect maybe, you know, a Reddish or a Hunter extension down the line? There's just a lot of calculus that comes into play there. But yeah. when you take in the terms that, you know, they were two games away from making the finals – yeah. It's going to be a bad look to let a player like Collins go, especially with his relationship with Trey and get nothing. Cause you usually don't get a lot in a sign and trade. I mean, using the Spurs as an example, 
like if you get like a solid trade from them, it's more likely to be like a Rudy Gay and like a lottery protected first in a year or two. You know, you're yeah. not going to get you're not going to get anything crazy. From it's him. not fair value is the way that I always say, like in, in a vacuum, you can't evaluate a sign and trade like a regular trade. Like you're not going to get most likely what you what he's actually worth in a sign and trade. It's yeah, just exactly. more of a mitigation. It's more of a mitigation effort to be like, OK, we you have to get something. something right. Exactly. And as I've said a million times, I know you have too, like this is not a situation where the choice is Collins or the cap space that would have paid Collins. You have to, it's, there is an opportunity cost here. And you mentioned it before, I think sort of is that there is a school of thought, like you just match any offer. And if you really, really, really don't want him long-term, he becomes movable. I think, unless there's something, you know, obviously that, there's a little bit of risk there uh, if he gets right. hurt or, so, or something else happens where he just kind of doesn't play as well. But I do think that it's very unlikely that he would suddenly be like terribly underwater on that contract. And yeah, just the reality is like they, we had the conference finals this year and there is a little bit of internal pressure you would imagine to, not necessarily run it back, but to not take a step back. And I think even if you yeah, don't love exactly. Collins, he, he clearly is someone that was a big part of their success. Like you could say, you could certainly sort of debate how much of a part of that success if you wanted to be lower on him, but they become worse without him. And I think everyone knows that. Yeah, that's really the bottom line is if you let Collins go, almost certainly you're becoming worse for the following season. You're, you're probably not going to get something in a sign and trade that equates to a top 60 player. That, that's just not likely to happen. It would so have to be an internal improvement. So the way that you get there is like get something and then someone makes a leap. Like Hunter really breaks out like he was earlier yeah, in the year. Something, something like, that. like that. Or like yeah. Reddish shows more viability at the four or something like that. Something they didn't expect. But it, it really just comes down to like long-term flexibility. You know, if, if you look at the comments that wrestlers made, he's he's sort of been guarded about saying that, you know, it's not likely that they'll be able to keep everybody. And when you look at how much talent they have, you know, 23 and under, you can make a real case that they have the best under 23 core in the league. Like, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I mean, it's oh, no, I, th I think even a year ago, I feel like Sam Mastini, didn't, didn't he rank the Hawks number two? And that was a year ago before Trey took another leap and Collins was better, all yeah. that stuff. Like, that was before Hunter made his leap and all that. So, yeah, I think that's definitely reasonable given the depth of it, too. Yeah, and it's, it's obviously going to be tough to keep all these guys together. And when you look at some skill sets. I mean, Herb was just so important in the playoffs. I mean, obviously he wasn't good in the conference finals. Really no one particularly was maybe reddish, but <laughs> yeah, but you, you saw his importance against Philly. Like he's really emerged as more of a two-way player and the ability to create for others is really impressive. So you can make a case that with more development, he could become a more important player down the line than Collins, even though Collins is clearly better right now. Um, Hunter, you know, if, if he looks like he did in the first 20 games and just builds on that, I mean, that's, he could easily be a max player. That's, I think is definitely fair, right? It's just someone they could look at keeping. So when you take a look at their core, it's not too hard to imagine Collins being the odd man out there, but certainly if they were to move him, that would likely make them worse for the next year. And that's always going to hurt expectations. So it's, it's a difficult thing because it really comes down to flexibility. And the big X factor there too, is just the willingness to pay luxury is huge. I mean, that's the biggest advantage really in the NBA is how much luxury teams are willing to eat. And if the Hawks are willing to do that, then it definitely makes more sense to consider Collins a, a long-term piece. Yeah, that all uh, that all tracks. They have to uh, sort of weigh the money stuff. And in the end, I mean, no no Hawks fan should worry about Tony Wrestler's wallet. Um, I don't worry about Tony Wrestler's wallet. No one no one should. But 
at the end of the day, it is a practical consideration, most likely at some point. So we will talk about yeah, that. Um, it's one of those things where owners should pay luxury. That should just, you know, be part and parcel of having an NBA team, particularly a good one. But when you look around the league, I mean, you just have to be realistic about what the expectations are for owners to pay, you know, repeat luxury. Like if you, Google, you know, Warriors luxury payments and, you know, not many owners are going to pay that, you know, no, so it's uh, that's something to keep in mind. And until you and, and until he does it, there's always a skepticism. At least there should be some level of it that he's going to do. I mean, I know Russ said all the right things at the time, and that he already sort of laid the groundwork to maybe not pay as much a few uh, weeks ago with his comments. So we'll see yeah. what happens. Uh, to that end, by the way, I wanted to ask you about Herder. You, you mentioned Herder, like extension eligible. Uh, it's a really nuanced situation. We probably spent an hour on this, but. Do you think that they should try to lock him in here, or does it a situation where maybe they draw a hard line in the sand, like they did with Collins, and if say like, "Look, this is the offer, and if you don't want it, we'll run it back next year." I think they should definitely be aggressive with Herder, and I think there's some different considerations at play with him than Collins. I mean, Collins was coming off a 2010 year, so he's he's just going to command more, you know, to begin with. I mean, his negotiation reportedly stalled at around four per ninety-eight four per 90 million. That's just, Herder's not going to get anywhere near that in an extension no. talk to begin with. And there's more concerns about the scalability of Collins's game that don't really apply to Herder. So I think you can be more aggressive with him in that respect, at least. Um, but yeah, I think they should really try and target an extension. And when you look at the value that the league places on players like Herder, who are six, seven and have the skill set that he does, he turned a lot of heads in the playoffs. If he were to build on that, it wouldn't be a surprise, I think at all, if he were to get like, four for 80 or 85 million from, you know, some team next summer. I, mean, I don't think that would surprise anyone. So I think it makes a lot of sense to try and head that off. Um, in a recent piece in the athletic, John Hollinger wrote that he thought that any deal that was in the teens per year for Herder was good. And I think that it probably is. I mean, just, I don't think that you can go above Bogdan's deal just because of how that structure works and all the elements and play with that. But I wouldn't have really an issue going, you know, four for 70, four for 72, something like that. And that might be a little bit of a, of an overpay for what Herder is right now, but typically with these extensions, you're, you're paying for what you want that player to develop into. So I think it's fine to go a little bit, you know, harder for Herder. You know, if you're paying 17 million a year, something like that, over four years, like that, that would be fine for for Herder. So I would, yeah, I, I would definitely try and get that done, just because you don't want to set up a possibility where he has another good year and he's going to free agency with some team, you know, lurking in the water that's, you know, going to sign him to a huge deal. Yeah, it's interesting because. I agree with what you said. Like, you know, that's an appropriate value in my mind for the, the player that Herder can be at his age. And you project him to get a little bit better, of course, over the, over the course of that contract. On the flip side, you could argue that the Hawks could draw a pretty firm line in the sand in part because of how many guys they have coming back. Uh, Herder led the team in minutes in the regular season last year, which I it's one of my favorite fun facts about the regular season is that he was the team leader in total minutes, despite coming into the season as a clear backup. Like he was not supposed to even start and he led the team in total minutes. Now I would project if everyone is healthy, he won't start again next year at the beginning of the year. I think they're going to start by Donovich and Hunter. So if you wanted to play hardball, you're Travis Slight, which is not really, that's not really his MO, but if you wanted to do that, you could look at it realistically and say, look, Kevin, you may not play. In fact, you're probably not going to play as much as you did last year because of how many guys we have. And in terms of like counting stats, and that's not everything, but it does matter in this thing. There's a real world where Herder doesn't necessarily replicate his production all the way across the board. So if you're going to pay him a year early, 
you know, you're taking on the risk. That's something I always say. The team is taking on the risk a year early. Now, if it's Trey Young for the max, like, no, you, you have you have to do that. But if it's not a max guy, you need to be getting a bargain in, in my mind to get an extension done. And for me, the, the counterpoint would be like, okay, a year from now, can you really see Kevin Herter getting four for 90 from somebody? And if you can't, why are you paying him four for 72 now? Because the opportunity cost there is really nil. And like, you're taking on more of the risk. Cause that, does that make sense? It's a thought. I'm not, I'm not saying that I would do that, but that's something I would at least consider if I'm Travis Schoenig. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the counter argument there is that you, you could be paying for something that he may not command next year. There's obviously risk with that, but you know, as a counter to that, I mean, look at Bogdan in Sacramento. He was coming off the bench behind Buddy Heal, you know, and he was entering his age 28 season and he still commanded a deal. I think, what is he, four for 72, something like that. And he was still able to get a pretty big deal. And, you know, that he would be four years older than Herder was. So I think that that's definitely true. And there's obviously a lot of risk, pay, you know, associated with paying a guy. And they will have a limit to some degree. You know, they're not going to give him like, you know, four for 90 or anything like that. So they'll have a limit. But if it's, you know, hey, Kevin, you know, we'll do, you know, somewhere between 13 to 18 million. Maybe they have some flexibility somewhere in there. I mean, I think that makes sense to go ahead and get him on that deal. You know, every team in the league is looking for this type of player, secondary creators who can shoot and defend. I mean, that's just a very valuable archetype. So I think it makes a lot of sense to be aggressive and try and lock him up on a long-term deal. Of course, you have a ceiling of some kind, but it would just make me nervous to have him hit, you know, free agency, especially knowing that money is going to be more of a consideration for the Hawks. Luxury is going to be more of a consideration. If you can get out ahead of that and just, you know, stop that from happening, even if it's a little bit of an overpay right now, I think that's okay. And he's shown enough growth, you know, over the last couple of months where I'm pretty confident that I would expect some kind of a leap, you know, the way he's improved defensively, his shot making, particularly you know, on pull-up twos, the strength improvements he's made, he's just improved in so many important areas that I think you bake that into his next deal. Yeah, no, that all that all makes sense, and uh, it's really interesting. Like that's a, you know, Collins last year was a pretty interesting negotiation. I would argue that just from a basketball you know salary cap nerve perspective, Herder is almost even more interesting because I just don't know where what his actual market is. I don't know what he'd be willing to take. Um, there's the argument, of course, that he was a late as Collins was too was a later first round pick that hasn't made that much money. Maybe he wants financial security, wants to lock that in. All kinds of factors in play. So. We'll see what they end up landing on or not landing on in the future. But uh, I honestly wish I had more time to spend on Herder, on Herder stuff because it's uh, pretty nuanced. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation for sure. It's just, like I said, you, you want to take into a, a leap into account. Like it's obviously there's risk associated with that, but I just think it makes a lot of sense to get it down and, you know, prevent another team from, from stealing him basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Before we get to uh, the draft and also uh, some backup point guard talk real quickly, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is Bill Bar. Did you know that Bilt Bar has so many delicious flavors that there's something for absolutely everyone? When you talk to a Bilt Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites. But if you don't know the Bilt Bar flavors, well, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and available this week only, get the new Built Bar flavor, it's Grasshopper Cookie. What does it taste like? Well, this is Built Bar's version of the classic Thin Mint Cookie. All the flavor without all of that sugar. 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 5 grams of sugar. My favorite flavor always changes, but this is one of my favorites. It's fantastic. And if you haven't tried all of the flavors just yet, you can get a mixed box where you get to choose. We're going to get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are the Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're also very healthy. 
17 to 18 grams of protein, calories range from 130 to 180, only four or five grams of sugar, and only four or five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. If you order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry, whatever you like, Built Bar is the place to do that, and it's the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now, get 15% off on your next order with the promo code LOCKED15. That's 15% off your next order if you use the promo code LOCKED15. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com. All right, Andrew, before we get to the draft, uh, back at point guard is the topic du jour beyond Collins and the draft. I will just open this up to you. Who is the ideal Atlanta Hawks backup point guard that is like at least, I guess, conceivably available? Well, there's a lot of good backup point guards on this market. Um, if you're willing to price it up to your MLE, um, I, I think he'll probably end up getting more, but I, I really like campaign. Um, if you ask me who the ideal guy was, it'd probably be him. I just think that he fits his, his style of play is sort of similar to what they like to do at point guard already. Um, but ultimately he's, you know, I think he's 26. I think the Suns will end up keeping him probably for a little bit, maybe a little bit above MOE. It still seems kind of weird to talk about him as that kind of player because he was just bad for so long, but he really started to improve with the Suns uh, going into, you know, in the bubble and um, season prior and then made a, a real leap to, you know, an outright quality backup point guard over the past season. So he would probably be my top guy, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think he's super realistic guys that I think make more sense. If you assume that they're going to use their MLE, if they're willing to pay that much. And when you look at their roster, how it could look next year, you know, let's, let's, let's assume that they're bringing Collins back and, you know, they'll get an adequate backup, you know, for the time being behind Capella until a comes back. I mean, clearly backup point guard is going to be the biggest hole in the roster. Um, a popular name that you hear a lot is TJ McConnell, of course, um, really good hands defensively. A name um, that a I hear from you a lot, by the way, just for yeah, the record. Yeah, <laughs> I've, al- <laughs> I've always, I've always liked his game. I mean, he's, he's really a, a good backup point guard. He's a good defender. Um, it's important to note too, that he's a different style from Trey. And that's one thing that, you know, that's why I would favor someone like Payne ahead of him is that it, it's different when you have two point guards that have different styles of play. I think that was part of the issue with Rondo. I mean, other than being washed, it was just really different, you know, to go from playing with Trey to playing with Rondo in the second unit. It's a, it's a tough adjustment. And there are some concerns there with McConnell because he's more of like a probing style of point guard. He's not really a pick and roll guy. He doesn't really shoot threes. He likes to shoot these like fadeaway seven footers, but he's just good above all, you know, those, those fifth concerns would be secondary to, to him being good. I think he's worth an MLE. Um, in my opinion, really, what an MLE should be used for is a team that's good and over the cap that has a small flaw that they need to fix. And then you use that with the MLE. So I would be fine with that. And then another guy that he doesn't really get as much interest, but I think is definitely worth the MLE is Alex Caruso uh, of the Lakers. Very good guard defender. Um, as you saw in the playoffs, point of attack defense was a real issue for the Hawks at times. So I think it makes sense to get a guy like that. Um, I believe he's 26, 27. So he's in his prime. You're getting his prime years. Um, he doesn't shoot a lot. He's pretty efficient with it, but you know, he's, he's not a ton, you know, much of a shooter, but he could play next to Trey. He has the size to play next to Trey and he's a good defender. So that would probably be my, you know, my favorite realistic option. Um, it's worth, you know, of course, pointing out, he's not a point guard in the sense that he, he runs your offense. He's a secondary guy, but if you project that you're going to do more of that with Herter, I think it makes a lot of sense to have Caruso next to Herter. And then you could have, a good second unit backcourt between those two. So really, you know, Caruso, McConnell, I think are true MLE guys. If Payne were somehow fall, you know, fall in that range, I would like him a lot too. But those are three guys that stand out for me. 
Yeah, I mean, the other option, and we won't spend too much time on this, but the other option, of course, is the internal one with Lou. Like, I, I'm not saying Lou's as good as those guys in 2021. Uh, he's obviously taken a little bit of a step back. Uh, I guess one of the hypotheticals is basically, would you rather just bring Lou back and use the MLE elsewhere, or would you rather use your MLE on one of the guys you just mentioned? Well, you could, and it would depend on what their approach was. Like, let's say, you know, we're going to get to the draft soon. Let's say they take a guard of some kind at 20. And then I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, to bring Lou back on whatever deal you have, a one-year deal. And then you could have Lou and your rookie. And then maybe over the course of the season, you start to split the minutes a little bit more. Um, my concern with Lou is just that I think he's really starting to show signs of, you know, age. It wouldn't surprise me if he was, frankly, outright bad, you know, next season. I mean, he's really good every handful of games. So he doesn't really offer a lot of the consistency that you would like. But also, you know, you know, being Trey's backup, isn't like some sexy role that a lot of guys are, are going to want to have, you know, it's, it's like a 15 minute, 14 minute per game kind of role. You know, you're not going to be on the floor in crunch time with the playoffs and things like that. So you have to be kind of realistic. And when you, when you consider what, you know, players might want to sign up for that kind of job. Um, so for me, I think, I think if you were to draft a rookie and bring back Lou, that's fine to me, like the, the least ideal you know, scenario would be to enter next season with both Lou and Brandon Goodwin as your only backup point guards. I just think it you're setting up um, a flaw. You know, you're setting up a hole in the roster if, if that would, was the course of action that you chose. So um, you could bring him back, but I think it would I think it would depend on if you drafted somebody. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't think they'll do that with both Lou and, and BG, but uh, that's interesting. I'm not even sure what Lou wants to wants to play. I, I mean, there's the whole dynamic of him like almost retiring mid-season and yeah it's just it's very nuanced and like you kind of need intel on what he wants to do and where the Hawks want him back and they've all said the right things but uh that's at least a name that's out there and they gotta do something to back a point guard they can't go into the year with a hole there yeah. as they as they have multiple times now yeah uh, and to answer your era. question and to answer your question too if, if they want to use their MLE elsewhere that's fine you know if, if you really like Kelly Olenek or someone like that like that's that's fine you know if you want to get another wing that to throw in the rotation you don't have to get a point guard but it's just the most logical use of it you know given that's, what, that's we know, their what, what, what we expect their roster to be yeah that's their unless they, unless collins leaves that is their uh that is their number one hole with all due respect to back to backup center backup point guard is much more important particularly if they have collins on the roster okay it's draft time uh andrew before we i'll probably let you get out of here the Hawks are at 20 you know the I think people always ask me, it's like, who are they going to take? It's uh, my answer is who's still left. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's the hard thing about picking at 20 is that you just don't know who's going to be there. Um, I'll open it up to you. Do you have a guy or two that you're like dreaming of as a Hawks observer that like is at least partially possibly going to get there? Like, don't, don't tell me M Moses Moody because he's not going to be there. But uh, beyond that, do you have anybody that you like are, are sort of falling in love with at 20? Well, I think like big picture at 20, they're in a good spot to, to catch somebody who falls, you know, and every lottery, there's always going to be one guy that, that slips further than expected. So they're in a good position to make, you know, a best player available selection if that's the route that they elect to go down. Um, the way I've kind of divided my board is there's some guys that I don't expect to be there, but I think are high upside options. And those would be like Jalen Johnson of Duke, Kai Jones of Texas, uh, also Jane Springer of Tennessee. Recent buzz kind of makes it seem like he's, he's going to go lottery, but he can maybe be there. So those are those three guys, I think, are really high upside bets. Um, Jalen Johnson is just, I think the defensive upside there is really impressive. He's, I like the secondary rim protection he can offer. You know, he's 6'9", 220. Um, he also brings passing at the four, which is something that they don't really have on the roster yet. I like the idea of getting something that they they, they don't have. Um, 
I won't really talk too much about Jaden Springer because, you know, I listen to the podcast and it seems like every <laughs> guest that, that you have on here loves Jaden Springer. And there's, been, so. there's been lots of Jaden Springer on the, on the show, admittedly, <laughs> yeah. for sure. But basically, like the short pitch for him is that he was a top 15 recruit. He's very young for his age. Um, he has a very good advanced stats profile. He was efficient. He's a really good athlete. Um, he's a great point of attack defender. He has upside as a secondary creator. Um, he didn't shoot a ton. I, he shot like 43% from three, but it was under 50 attempts. So not much of a sample size there, but he's ahead as a shooter than guys like Marcus Smart or Deon, you know, DeAnthony Melton, guys of his archetype were at the same point. So you could have a good secondary creator, a good defender and a good shooter. And that's just a really good package there. Um, and then Kai Jones, I just think there's a good chance that he, he's just going to be bad, but man, he has some incredible flashes. I mean, he is like maybe the best highlights guy in this class, maybe except for the very top of the draft. Um, you could get like a grab and go big. You can knock down threes and do some stuff from spot up. And I think it would be, I think it would make sense to, you know, looking long-term to have somebody, a big next to a Kongwu with more size. You can help block shots. I think that would make sense, especially since the Kongwu is a little undersized. So those three guys really stand out. as like the upside guys for me. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, that makes sense. I think. There's kind of not totally different schools of thought, but there there is a, a selection, as you just referenced, of some guys who have notably higher ceilings. And then you have a bunch of, for instance, the the backcourt options. Uh, some of them have high ceilings as well, but there's that whole group of like that theory basically to add depth to the backcourt because in part because they don't have a backup point guard and in part because there's a lot of guys in this range that are of that mold, like your Jared Butler, so I know you like, or um, you know Bones Highland, Miles McBride, Cam Thomas, Trey Mann, like whichever one your favorite of those guys is there's a, that school of thought. And then there's some other sort of more interesting, like not just plug and play. Like they have some wings like your Trey Murphy's or your Kessler Edwards who are not super high ceiling guys, but are interesting two-way guys. You have Josh Christopher as a scorer. You have JT Thor as a super high upside guy. You have Chris Duarte, who is my age. Uh, Usman Garuba is like really fun, but also might be a center. I mean, it's just, they could do, so many things I said on my first show solo show I got to like 17 18 guys that I think that they could reasonably draft at 20 not not all of them may, will not be there but yeah. that's a lot of guys I mean there's a lot of players that could draft here yeah they could go in a lot of different directions and it's interesting too because I just find myself having less strong opinions about who they could take this year they're just part of it is just that you know they have at least an interesting young player at every position now so they could totally swing and miss on this pick and, and not affect them at all really um, so that makes it easier and it's also just you know there's so many different guys they could take and I'd be like okay that's a fine pick you know they could take Duarte that would be fine they could take Cam Thomas that would be fine there's just a lot of different directions they could go in and all of you know Schlenk is kind of established a reputation now as a good drafter where I think that if he took somebody I was lower on, I'd be like, well, okay, you know, his, his evaluations have been good to this point. Maybe, yeah. maybe he sees something there, but yeah, I, I don't find myself having as many strong opinions on who they should, or, you know, should avoid this year. There's, there's a lot of good options in that part of the draft. Yeah. I was, I was actually going to ask you if you have like a nightmare scenario. I mean, my, mine, I've basically been saying is like the only thing that's going to actually frustrate me is if they draft a non Kai Jones center, like, yeah, Isaiah, like Isaiah, Isaiah Jackson, Jackson or something. Yeah, Isaiah Jackson or Dayron Sharp. And I'm not, it's not even about those guys. Those guys are fine prospects. I just don't think they would be what I want for the Hawks. But even then, yeah. like, I don't know, you could, you, you could at least convince me that Isaiah, Isaiah Jackson's not a pure center or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There's, to your point, there's not a whole lot they could do where I would be, I would come on the podcast the next morning and really kill Travis. Like, there's nothing 
short of yeah. trades, like just drafting a guy that's like mocked somewhat in that range. There are not a lot of disasters, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't, like I said, I don't have really strong opinions about who they shouldn't take. You know, I, I wouldn't take a pure five type player. And, and, you know, there's, there's some guards that I would have just lower valuations of like Josh Primo, someone like that, you know, I would just be, Oh, roll, roll tide though. You're not, you're a Bama guy. What's <laughs> wrong with you? Come on. Yeah. I thought that might happen. You know, his rise has really been incredible, man. I don't want to like get sidetracked on the, you know, a Primo discussion, but it, no, it's that's, incredible. Honestly, it is interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was, I was a little bit surprised when he kept his name in the draft and now it's no, he's going first round. It seems like it's inevitable. He's going to, but yeah, that would be someone that I would be lower on and just a backup, you know, a, a pure backup five. I wouldn't like, but they can go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. One more question I want to ask you about the draft is that actually somebody asked, I can't remember who it was so my apologies now, but it was on Twitter, uh, I think yesterday. And they basically, this is not a unique question, but essentially it was, should they, actively try to use 20 to trade for a more immediate contributor just mostly through the prism of the hawks being you know legitimately viewed as a contender now having made the final four do you i'm i don't subscribe to this but do you think it's valid to maybe say look we don't want to add another rookie right now we're gonna we're trying to win and that's this guy might be too far away i, I don't love that theory but like do you think that's even like a thought process that they can have yeah i mean sure if, if they if they like somebody that they think can you know make their rotation and make them a better team, um, I, certainly no rookie that they take is probably going to impact their rotation uh, for most of the season. So if they wanted to turn that into a, a quality rotation player, that's fine. I mean, it, it's probably going to be somebody who's cost controlled. No, not, not somebody that has like yeah. a higher upside. <laughs> that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. So it, I would probably just use the pick. You know, just just take the best player available or take the player that, you know, you, you like the most. But if they if they wanted to trade it and get, you know, a, a role player, that, that's fine, too. There are certainly guys that could that could project to help them a little bit more next year than others. But I, I generally agree, even even the guy who is the most win now, like let's just say like Chris Duarte, for example, like he's the most like if you're buying on him, you're buying on him yeah. to help you sooner. I'm not sure he's in the rotation on opening night if you draft him. He's 24 years old. So like, that's one of the things about this Hawks team is that I certainly wouldn't almost never draft for the short term, but on a team like this, you really don't want to draft for the short term because whoever yeah, that exactly. guy is, unless they're, I mean, granted, we just saw a season where the Hawks were so hurt all year long that any of these guys would have had to play, but in a normal circumstances, like opening night, I can't pick a guy at 20 that I see on this, on the radar right now that I would have, at least by choice in the rotation on October 17th. I think if you had to pick one, wouldn't it be Jared Butler? If you had I to mean, pick probably. one guy it's, it's, either, it's yeah. either Butler or Duarte. And just and, and Duarte, just to the prism of like, you can't have too many wings. But yes, I agree. Just because of the roster, if you made me choose one guy and said, okay, you have to play this guy 12 minutes on opening night on the Hawks, it probably is Butler because of yeah. backup point guard. And the fact that he, I think he's just pretty, you know, safe, safe's a scary word, but I do think that he... Yeah brings a lot of things to the table that could make him playable. Yeah. Him entering the league, you know, and being an approximation of Jalen Brunson, I think is like very much in play. You know, if it would not surprise me if he was a better player than Blue Williams was next year, but yeah, I, I do agree with you. I mean, most rookies are just bad as you, as you like to say, the, the amount of, you know, rookies that are above replacement level play is, you know, like a handful or so Butler would be somebody that I would pick if I had to guess one. Um, but yeah, probably no one is going to be an immediate contributor. Um, so I, I, I agree with that. Okay. So before I let you get out of here, this is a big picture, but I know you're capable because you follow this stuff as closely as anybody. Uh, I'm going to ask you to construct 
again, I say within reason, uh, Andrew Kelly, Andrew Kelly's dream off season, um, in some, in some way, you don't have to go crazy deep on this, but, uh, starting with starting with the draft, which is next week. And then going into free agency, like what is your realistic, like you're really coming out of this off season with an A grade on the Hawks. Okay. That's, that's a pretty big question. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, I'm about. not saying you have to go deep on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, yeah. I know, I know you thought about this because this is, what you, this is what you think about all the time. I know. Yeah, you. yeah you're right. Um, you said realistic. Um, realistic. So we'll say the three guys that I mentioned as high upside guys, I don't think they're going to fall to them. So let's say they take Jared Butler as a guy I like. You know, I think he can he can be the long-term option behind Trey. Um, he's got arguably the best handles in the class. Uh, national champion. He has the kind of pedigree like Hunter that I think he won in your program. Um, he can play off ball. He was 98th percentile as a catch and shoot guy. I think that's something that's really important next to Trey. And he can defend a little bit. Uh, he's a really good PNR passer. Um, so that that's a guy that, you know, it's not like a sexy pick. It's not like a super high upside pick because you're talking about probably a backup, but I think that guy's going to hit, you know, I think we'll get your money's worth. So let's say Jared Butler, you take him in the draft. Um, let's say you get a Kevin Herter extension at a not insane, you know, a not, a not insane deal. So that way you avoid that. And then it really just comes down to, uh, to John Collins, you know, um, what the walkaway point would be. I, I, I couldn't give, I, Mac, you know, him on a max deal would just give me too much pause. I'm just loaded on him as a player. Um, but if they were able to get him sort of a max, I think that's totally fine. You know, I, I think that that will help their team next year. If they could get him on like a five-year deal for 130, 135 million a year where he's making, yeah. I think that's like 26, 27 a year. Like that's and that, fine. And, that's, and that. that that falls under the uh, under the realistic. Pr- I, I, I keep saying five for 125 as like, yeah. I think a, pre- a pretty like, only because... It's just a, a nice middle ground. I'm not, it might be more like you just said. It might be it might be five one thirty. Whatever it is, I think the yeah. use of the fifth the use of the fifth year is yeah, an underrated storyline. Yeah. I think yeah, that, that's important. I, th- I think five for one twenty five, just because the max is four for one twenty five. You know, so I, th- I think five yeah, for one twenty five. It's like four one twenty one is the actual yeah. max for okay. for non Hawks. So the Hawks can actually go four for more than one twenty one because okay. they have they can give them higher raises. Not to go down that path, we'll do that later on. I actually have a cap <laughs> a cap episode coming on the podcast that, where I will just rant and rave about numbers forever. But yeah, I, I think that to uh, I, I will give you credit. That is a very that's realistic without being silly. Like I saw somebody ask me. Like, all right, well, you know, Collins, you know, after this year, he can't ask for more than he asked for last summer. And I was like, well, yes, he can. And he'll get more. <laughs> like, yeah. four, if you said 490, I'd laugh you out of the room. But it's going to be uh, five, five for 130 is, uh, is totally reasonable. He's going to get paid. Um, so basically, if you could get Collins at an average annual value of 25 to 27 million a year over four or five years, that's fine. Or if you could get a good sign and trade package like maybe something with Minnesota where you're getting like Rubio as your backup point guard and you're getting, you know, Jaden McDaniels, who I really like as, you know, uh, sort of your forward power forward of the future. And you maybe get like, you know, uh, Culver or some kind of pick in there. That would be good. So really just a positive resolution on Collins. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. Either a reasonable deal or a good sign in trade, you know, not a massive. Don't get get canceled on on this podcast. You, you You did well. The worst outcome there is clearly losing him for nothing. Like that's the one thing that you absolutely cannot do. Like you, if if you have to match a max, then you have to match a max. You cannot lose a player like John Collins for nothing. Uh, That's that's uh, that's also my view. Like I think I've said about. I guess I have it. I'll say it again here. Like I agree. Uh, Even even the worst, the least favorable contract for the Hawks would be the three plus one 
with a tray kicker offer sheet at the max. And personally, I would match that because once, once the offer sheet is signed, you can't trade him anymore. And the options are then he's gone or he's back. And I would, I, I just match it. I mean, you, you may not love that scenario, but that yeah. is preferable to losing it for nothing. Yeah. You can't do that. And after that, I think the other, the only real, you know, unfinished piece of business would just be use the MOE on a good player. You know, it, and one thing too is like, it would not surprise me if they just elected not to use their MOE this year. You know, oh no, not not at all. That's like very much in play, especially it's, if they pay Collins. I was gonna say, you know? especially if Collins makes a lot of money, they the, the MLE could take them into the tax. And yeah, uh, with with apologies to Tyler who yelled at me for about mentioning the tax the other day, uh, that I will be surprised if they're in the tax this year. Yeah. This year, like in the future, they're gonna have to do it at some point, I think. But this year, they can pretty easily avoid it, and I think they probably will. Yeah, I agree with that. So, you know, user MOE and a good player, positive resolution with Collins, Herder extension, draft Jared Butler, and we're done. There you go. I love that. I, I, I apologize for putting you on the spot, but you did a good job with that. I was, uh, it was well played. Um, we could do another hour on everything, but uh, I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, Andrew, tell people where they can find your stuff. I know you wrote about at least one prospect that I read the other day on Peachtree Hoops, but anything else you got, you got cooking and your Twitter account is a must follow. Yeah. Are you familiar with Peachtree Hoops? I wasn't sure if you I, I used to, I used to monitor a little bit closely, a little more closely. Now I'm just a reader. <laughs> yeah. I had a draft profile on Kessler Edwards very quickly. He's probably my favorite second round guy. I, I really don't think he's going to make it to 48. He just seems too good. I don't think so. Either. Man, that'd be I, a home run at 48 though. Home run. Yeah. That's yeah. Like I said, sort of my home run draft. I mean like realistic sort of draft would be like Butler and then Kessler Edwards. I mean, he could defend, play both forward positions and shoot. If you get him a 48, I mean, you're stealing him. Um, so you can read that on Peace Street Hoops. I've got a few more draft profiles coming out and you can follow me on Twitter, A. Kelly. It's not A. Kelly on Twitter. You lied just now. Oh yeah, you're right. That's my handle. Everybody knows it's A. Kelly. I'm so, a- I'm so, I'm so happy that I, <laughs> that I, that I remember that off the top of my head. Yeah. But. And Land Kell. Yeah. A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L-L. I'm just saying there's, there's a chance that there's a listener to this podcast that does not know your work. So I want to make sure people can actually find you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good observation. I got to sell myself better. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, I appreciate you, sir, for coming on. We will do this again in the near future. Uh, you can come on and yell about whatever they do in the off season if you don't like it. And uh, we, oh, I should have, I should, we should have talked about Gallo for like twenty minutes because that's that's really kind of what you want to do generally. Yeah, I mean, I don't very very quickly. I, you know, I saw that trade proposal. I'm not sure that it makes a ton of sense for the Hawks. I think you got to get a little bit more than a backup point guard for him. But it wouldn't surprise me if they moved them, especially if they played Collins. Well, yeah, it, it wasn't a full on. I mean, it was a Dan Moore report. It wasn't a full on like. Yeah. In fact, he didn't even mention Rubio. I think everyone just like did the math on that. It was like, well, it's got to yeah, be that's Rubio. That's probably who it is. I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, that's you know what I would think. You know, Rubio and Colbert or Peck or something like that. But yeah, you know, Gal Gal was like they they need his shooting in their rotation. That's better than what they can get. You know, you, as a backup you, point you lo- and you love Gallo. I love let's, him. Let's, yeah, let's just yeah. be honest. You love Gallo. That's uh, yeah, okay. I love this game. But man, his one on one game is just too much fun to watch. No, honestly, even if you are not a Gallo fan, uh, if you watch him like post up or face up somebody that, that can't guard him, it is uh, it's enjoyable to have him just put people in jail essentially. So. Uh, anyway, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back again next week with much more content. So stay tuned.